0: UK retailer Majestic bought for £100 million.
1: Limits place on new plantings of Pinot Grigio in Northern Italy.
0: Guilla Peñin releases its 2020 online guide to Spanish wine, with Sherry once again the highest rated category.
1: Denver Hotel offers Prosecco and Pups room service.
0: And as always, our Wine of the Week.
1: So Casey, how was your week? Um, You're back from Washington. What were you doing there and how was it? Well, it was great.
0: It was sunny skies all week long, which can't argue with that when you're in the Pacific Northwest. Um, Had a very interesting visit at Andrew Will Winery, uh, where I met with Will Camarda. And he took me through some barrel samples and uh, had some great conversation. And he's taken over the winemaking from his father, Chris Camarda, who I ended up having a lovely pasta lunch with.
1: Yeah, I visited there six years ago and it an amazing experience. Uh, Chris is quite the character, although I haven't met his son. The wines are absolutely superb. Some of the best coming out of Washington. And they've been around for nearly over 30 years now. They're really, really high quality.
0: Mm, I had the 2011 Sorella with the pasta. It was delicious.
1: Yeah, Sorella is arguably the best wine in Washington. Any other interesting tastings while you're in Washington?
0: Well, funny you should ask, Matthew. I actually hosted a couple of launch events for a new wine um, called Clipson from Red Mountain, from the, from the vineyard Clipson, which is uh, well known in Washington state, uh, if not in and around the U.S. And so as part of the tasting, we poured the wine alongside 2016 Lafitte Rothschild, and a 2016 dominus so all three from the same vintage but obviously different regions of the world and really interesting you know with lafitte rothschild we expected that to be you know from bordeaux going to be a little bit green herbal and in fact it was quite fruity so i don't know if that's an effect of climate change or what but it was pretty fruit forward but delicious and the dominus was more green and herbal so really throwing all of our preconceptions out the window.
1: Fascinating tasting. Wish I'd been there. Um, the 2016 Bordeaux's I've tasted have all been quite fruit forward. So that's kind of a hallmark of the vintage, which is why people are very excited about it.
0: Yeah, I don't know. But the clipson showed as we expected and kind of had that fruit forward plush fruit and, and then just that slight herbal flavor. So kind of the best of both worlds. A little bit of promotion there. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, that's what they say in Washington. It's the best of France and the best of California coming together.
0: And what about you, Matthew? I know you were teaching the very first day of the new diploma yesterday. How did that go?
1: It was excellent. Um, Exciting that the the WCT have finally revamped their diploma, made it a bit more contemporary and up-to-date and also very student friendly. Um, So, I was teaching the first unit, which is all about uh, viticulture and wine production, and the students actually have an online coursebook which they can refer to, which no students have ever had before, and it's fantastic.
0: So, well received by the students?
1: Yep, they seem to enjoy the day.
0: All right, now on with the news. More news on the Majestic front. This week it was announced that the British wine retailer is to be sold by Naked Wines to Fortress Investment Group for £100 million. The announcement ends months of speculation. The previous plan had been to rebrand Majestic stores as Naked Wine Stores, but a major shareholder had opposed that plan as confusing and destructive. The sale of Majestic now means that Majestic and Naked are now two completely different companies and can focus on their own business models. So what's your take on this, Matthew?
1: Well, it seems to have um, finally um, removed a lot of the confusion about the relationship between Majestic and Naked, which seems, which can only be a good thing. And now they're two completely separate entities. So uh, Majestic can be its own thing again, rather than just a projection of Naked.
0: Yes, I know in all the communications that have come out from Majestic recently have been uh, reiterating to their consumers that not to fear... Majestic is here to stay, they're online as well as their brick and mortar.
1: Yeah, so their online sales are still going to be important, but I think their, their uh, website is going to be an extension of their physical stores, rather than just a front for naked. Um, but overall, they can really focus on their retail stores and make them a place that consumers want to um, go into and interact with the knowledgeable staff, which I think they lost a bit.
0: I mean, they're well known, their name is there, and I think they want to rebuild their brand loyalty, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And really get their identity, their own identity back again so the consumers know what majestic means and what they're going to get when they go into the shop. Because buying wine in person is still the way that most people purchase their wine, it's still extremely important.
0: Well, it'll be interesting to see how uh, majestic fares on its own and naked as well.
1: Yeah, they're going their own path too. <laughs> Let's talk about Pinot Grigio, the uh, Italian grape that everyone knows about. What's your opinion of Pinot Grigio, Katie?
0: Well I have to say the first thing that comes to mind is the Franzia Pinot Grigio. That was my old go-to when I was back in college, drinking wine from the box. But, you know, as I think is the case among uh, a lot of people in the trade is that it's synonymous with the Italian white wine, it's neutral, easy drinking, and not necessarily associated with quality.
1: You were drinking it as a student and then you graduated, as it were, onto Mm, better wines.
0: Yeah, probably wouldn't touch the stuff nowadays.
1: Italian producers are trying to rethink how um, they make and promote Pinot Grigio and how people talk about Pinot Grigio as well. In 2017, a new DOC was created called uh, Della Venezia, which covers the three wine producing regions of Frulli, Trentino and Veneto. And they did that to promote higher quality. So really trying to um, reimagine the brand now they've gone even further and they've suspended new plantings of Pinot Grigio for the next three years to ensure the market isn't flooded with inexpensive lower quality wine. And the DOC's Consorzio released a statement saying their objective is improving and guaranteeing the quality of Pinot Grigio, constantly monitoring the denominations, figures and trends, and adapting to all possible market developments and ensuring balance and stability in prices. So Katie, do you think that... Um these moves, the new DOC, a suspension of plantings, can um, refocus quality on Pinot Grigio.
0: Well, I think they're going to have to do more than just suspend new plantings. I think they're going to have to reanalyze what's being done with current plantings, right? And the article that we read didn't really go into much detail about how they were going to address those issues. But I think it's going to be a long time before they're going to change any perception in the market.
1: Well, I think one the key uh, phrase from the statements is that they're going to monitor the figures and trends. So this is an ongoing development, trying to make sure that Pinot Grigio keeps up with developments. So in other white wine markets
0: well it's got a lot of competition nowadays there's a lot of white wines coming out that people want to try yeah ferment i heard was a big one
1: there is a lot of competition ferments a little bit different from pinot grigio uh, so, so but there's so many different styles out there but there's a lot of crisp um, fresh white wine being made but at least the doc is trying to keep up with what's going on and making sure they don't get left behind
0: good to see they're paying attention. What's your favourite wine, Matthew?
1: Sherry. And it's funny you should ask because uh, I want to talk about sherry. I need no excuse to talk about sherry. It's the the greatest wine in the world. And I know you love sherry as well, don't you? I do. Because this week, um, Guilla Penin, which is one of Spain's leading critical guides to Spanish wine, just released its online edition of Guilla Penin de los Vinos de España 2020, in which nearly 12,000 wines are reviewed. Six of those wines scored 99 points. But what really interested and excited me was the top two regions were Sherry and Montilla Morillas. Now, I don't really pay too much attention to scores, but the fact that the two regions which specialise in fortified wine scored the highest averages shows just how exciting they are and that the focus is on quality rather than quantity. For the record, Sherry scored an average of 92.35 points and Montilla Morillas 91.07. Ribera Sacra was third with 90.67. The sherry is quite a bit uh, further ahead than Ribera Sacra, for instance. Also one of the 99-point-rated wines was a sherry, Reliquia Amontillado by Barbadio, of which only 40 bottles are released each year at a cost of 1,200 euros. I'd really like to taste that. Are you going to buy me a bottle, Katie?
0: Hmm, Maybe next year.
1: Mm, well, you know, I did buy you a PX from 1987 for your birthday last week.
0: That's true, and your birthday is coming up, but still, 1,200 euros is
1: a little steep. It is a little steep, but it must be delicious. Mm.
0: Well, that's interesting, uh, this news, because, you know, sherry, at least here in the U.S., is trying to overcome its perception as being that cheap, sweet cream sherry that your grandmother drank. Yet here, we're saying that it's some of the highest quality wines if you use scoring as a marker for that.
1: Yeah, I was also um, interested in this because in Spain, sherry isn't drunk that widely or that commonly. It's not an everyday drink just because it's Spanish. There's no real kind of domestic loyalty to sherry. And yet here, um, Spanish critics, Spanish wine writers are regarding it just as highly as um, writers from around the world do. So maybe sherry is, is drawing attention to its quality in Spain as well as abroad.
0: Well, I think that's true. You definitely see more of it on the wine list, and it's growing and growing, though it's still tiny. But maybe this is all part of a larger trend.
1: Yeah, and also the price. Obviously, €1,200 Euros is quite extreme. But when I bought um, that bottle of PX I was in a shop in Berkeley called Spanish Table, and they had a remarkable range of sherries, all the way from $10 a bottle to $250 a bottle. And I never really think about sherry being expensive or kind of collectible or valuable. I always think, oh, it's really good value. It's one of the things I love about Sherry. But obviously Sherry produces releasing these really old backstock and charging quite a bit of money for it.
0: Well, you neglected to take off the price tag of the birthday gift that you gave me. So 1987 PX from that shop was only $38.
1: 32 year old wine under 40 dollars really is extremely good value but when you get in the 200s or even 1200 then even i flinch a little at that price
0: a bit of light-hearted news here is i saw this week that a denver hotel is offering a prosecco and pups room service
1: what on earth is that katie
0: well, the hotel is the Kimpton Hotel Monaco in Denver, Colorado, and if you book a luxury suite, the hotel will send 10 puppies from Lifeline Puppy Rescue to the room, and guests can play and cuddle with them for an hour. Not only that, but Prosecco will be served as part of the deal. Would this offer tempt you?
1: Well, I have to confess it would. It's probably um, overpriced and extremely gimmicky, but the idea of being in a hotel room surrounded by 10 puppies while drinking Prosecco, I think that's hard to resist.
0: Mm, It would depend on the Prosecco.
1: To, To be honest, if I had 10 puppies in the room, I wouldn't really care about which Prosecco it was. But it's a high quality hotel and it's a luxury suite, so hopefully it's decent Prosecco. Would you be tempted, Katie? You seem a bit more skeptical about this idea.
0: Well, I wonder, do you choose the breed of puppies or is it random?
1: Well, they're all rescue puppies, so I'm sure it's uh, pretty random. It's whatever's being rescued that week. <laughs> I'm sure they're cute and adorable.
0: I'm sure. And now for our wine of the week.
1: And what is the wine of the week, Katie?
0: Well, this is a special bottle. It's a Samsara Rancho Lavinia Pinot Noir 2014 from the Santa Rita Hills.
1: And what makes this bottle so special?
0: So this bottle comes from a winery um, by Dave Shkutak. He's going to hate me for that. I'm sure I've mispronounced his last name and his wife, Joan. Uh, so I know Dave. I uh, did the WSET diploma with him. Uh, we suffered many a weekend, tasting and tasting and tasting and theory and theory and theory. And it was a, it was a long road, but um, we had each other and he was one of my favorite study buddies.
1: Well, I hope you didn't suffer too much. Because I was your tutor at that time as well.
0: Your classes were the best, Matthew. (laughs) Thank you. Anyway, Dave and Joan, um, they started this winery in Santa Barbara County. They have a winemaker that they've hired, Matt Brady, and they focus on Pinot, Grenache, Syrah, and Chardonnay. But full disclosure, though we've known Dave for some time now, we've never tried any of his wines until this week.
1: Yeah, so this is really exciting to try because he's talked about them quite a bit. We've never had a chance to actually experience them. And this comes from a a single vineyard, the Rancho La Vigna, which is in Santa Rita Hills. And Santa Rita Hills is an area which has lots of potential for Pinot Noir because of the cool breezes and fog that uh, blow through the hills. Your reaction to this wine was this, this tastes like Santa Rita Hills.
0: Well, I had a lot of opportunity to taste Santa Rita Hills Pinots when I lived down there. Uh, this brought me back to my days living in Buellton, California. Mm-hmm. Not a especially beautiful place to live, but once you get out into the vineyards, it's great.
1: Yeah, you may recognize it from sideways. And we really enjoyed this wine. It's really intense and concentrated. It has the fruitiness of California, but it was a not an austerity, but a leanness to it, a tightness to it. It's from 2014, so there's a bit of age to it as well. And it's really nice that they um, delay the release. It's aged uh, for nearly two years in 25% new oak and then for another year in the bottle before release. So they clearly really want it to be ready to enjoy and experience when um, opening. And
0: there's a 40% whole cluster on the wine as well.
1: Which gives it that nice, uh, smooth uh, tannic structure.
0: Yeah, so keep an eye out for it. Samsara is actually Sanskrit for eternal cycle of life.
1: Kind of relating to the, uh, the vine, which just comes and goes every year.
0: That's so poetic, Matthew.
1: Thank you. It's a little expensive, it's $58. But California Pinot Noir, especially when single vineyard, usually does retail for that 40 to $60 price. And I think the intensity and complexity uh, justified that price.
0: Yep. Two thumbs up. Well done, Dave. Cheers. And that's it for Wind Up Weekly this week. I'm Katie Canfield.
1: I'm Matthew Gorn.
0: Join us next week for another news wind up.
1: See you next time.